If I had to describe one word of myself 31 years ago when I was pregnant with our first child, this word of description would be clueless. Clueless is a word that means naive, uninformed, you know, missing the obvious, ignorant, in short, without a clue. That was me 31 years ago. You see, I was nauseous and I couldn't figure out why. I was sure it was the water I had been drinking that week. I must have picked up a bug. You see, Jim and I had been canoeing in the Canadian Boundary Waters, that beautiful string of lakes between northern Minnesota and Canada. We had carried in our freeze-dried food, and any time we were thirsty, we just dipped into these pristine lakes and drank the water. I was sure that's why I was nauseous. Nausea wouldn't go away. Well, the week after that canoe trip, we house-sat for some friends, and they had a waterbed. And I woke up every morning so nauseous that I thought, oh my goodness, I'm seasick from this sloshy waterbed. You know, and I'm exhausted because I'm not getting a good night's sleep. That must be the problem. Nausea wouldn't go away. Finally, weeks later, after taking a pregnancy test, found out the truth. I was expecting a baby. I was truly a clueless first-time mom. I knew nothing about babies. I signed up to work in a church nursery. What do you do with these little people? I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Well, today, whether you are a clueless first-time mom or a veteran mom with six or eight kids or not a mom at all, James chapter 3 has something powerful to say to every one of us. I am convinced it is no mistake that this chapter in this series on the book of James falls on Mother's Day. So find your Bibles, James chapter 3, get that outline from your program, and let's jump in. James does not want us to be clueless when it comes to what genuine faith looks like. He's been saying that faith that makes a difference shows itself by its deeds, and that includes words that come out of our mouths. That's what we're going to learn from chapter 3. Let's read verse 1 of James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why is that true? We who teach will be judged more strictly. Those who give words of instruction. One word, influence. Influence. A teacher's got influence, right? Teachers are trusted. They're looked up to and believed. And in James' context in the first century, they represented the word of God. Therefore, teachers had a stricter judgment. They were directing the course of listeners' lives. And James is saying there's responsibility with influence. And the more influence you have, the greater the responsibility. There's a stricter judgment. Moms, I propose to us today that we are teachers. We, of course, influence children and may have the most influential role in their lives. You're your child's first teacher. And we ought not to take that lightly, but take this high calling seriously. So point number one, moms, is this. Moms, take your job seriously. Take your job seriously. Moms, we're frontline teachers, and we will answer for how we steward this opportunity to shape a life. And I say that not to guilt you, but to inspire you, to encourage you, to cast vision for what God is calling us to do. In short, moms, you matter. 
no matter what age or stage, moms matter. Your job is critical, and no one can do what God's calling you to do. There are some amazing daycare workers. Bless them. There's some invested grandmas, dads, uncles, aunts. You know, thank God for them. But the truth is, God chose you to be the mom. And you are the primary teacher and influencer of their lives. See it as a critical assignment. James is saying, rise up. See it as a privilege and take the job seriously. Now, why is that so important for us to hear that today? For one, it's a biblical value. It's a biblical worldview. It values the significance of moms. And secondly, you're not going to hear it in very many other places, are you? You'll experience the raised eyebrow of, oh, you're just a mom. You just stay home. You're not using your degree. Pretty soon you'll start saying, you know, I'm, I'm just a mom. What do you do? I'm just a mom. Moms, you're doing the most important job in the world. Do you know where I learned that mantra? You're doing the most important job in the world. I learned that from my mom. I never lived near my mom after age 21. And, and yet I would call her when I had those three preschoolers. And she would speak into my weary soul. And she'd say, honey, you're doing the most important job in the world. And I would hang up the phone and I would wipe a runny nose and wash a bottle and change yet another messy diaper. And I would say to myself, I'm doing the most important job in the world. I am so thankful for my mom's biblical worldview that she valued the significance of being a mom. I love the fact that the Apostle Paul, that lion of a leader, took up the metaphor of motherhood to describe his own mission of discipleship and encouragement to new believers in their faith. I want you to listen to Galatians 4.19. Paul writes to the Galatians, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now. Paul was experiencing labor, contractions, if you will, bearing down, grown struggle to give birth to the likeness of Christ in them. How about 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8? Paul says to them, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You know, just like a mom. You see, Paul honored the high calling of motherhood and took it upon himself to describe his mission of raising up Christ followers. And we need to view motherhood in that way too, don't we? It's a high calling. We are shaping little lives and disciples. We're influencing the next generation. We're frontline theologians, if you will. Theology, it's the study of God. And a theologian makes real and accessible the knowledge of God. Moms, you are your child's first theologian. You're teaching them truths about the character of God and what he's like. When you hold an infant skin on skin, when you answer early cries for hunger or discomfort, that's how a child learns trust. And trust is the first building block of our faith. And they become aware, oh, there is a power greater than me that is faithful and kind and hears my cry. And doesn't that sum up the Christian faith, that we all realize there's a power greater than me that is faithful and kind and hears my cry. 
Moms, build the bond of trust in the early years. Be there for them. You're passing on the faith. So moms, don't you ever say, I'm just a mom. You say, I'm a frontline theologian. I'm a teacher of the truths of God. I'm a shaper of the next generation. And what do you do? All careers are valuable. But moms, take your job seriously. Take your job seriously. Back to James 3. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. I love this verse because right off the bat, James is saying, We all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. All, many. It reminds me of Romans 3.23. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. It's the beginning of the gospel, right? And only Jesus never stumbled. He is that perfect man who was able to keep his whole body and all his words in check. He spoke only what the Father would have him speak. Moms, we have and we will stumble in many ways, especially in what we say. Only Jesus is perfect and can be our Savior. And that is such good news because I don't think there's another job on the planet that has more guilt or shame around it than motherhood. Am I right? I have a boatload of bad mom stories. How much time do you have? You know, when I think of things I regret that I wish I could do over... For starters, all three of my kids went down the stairs as babies in a walker. I, I don't know how that happened. All three. Now, to my credit, only one needed surgery. And one was Jim's fault. He was carrying lumber into the house and went down the basement stairs and left the door open. And Emily and her walker followed him and did a 360 tumble. I don't know, somehow he caught her at the bottom of the stairs. Once I lost a child, water tower place in Chicago at Christmas time among the crowds, just long enough to experience major panic. Once I left a child on the piano teacher's front porch at night for 45 minutes, zoomed off to Target and back, not realizing the lesson was canceled and the door was locked. And there she sat. Moms, take it from me. Always wait till the child gets into the building before you drive away. <laughs> Once I told one of my kids to run in front of a truck. You know, come to think of it, it's the same kid I left on the piano teacher's porch and lost at Water Tower Place. I'm sorry, Rachel. It's a poor middle child. No, seriously, I told a child to run in front of a truck. Is there another mom here or at DeKalb, Bartlett, Blackberry that has told their child to run in front of a truck? Nobody, huh? Thanks a lot. We were in Killington, Vermont on vacation. Okay, don't lose the irony on that. Killington. And I had, we were crossing the main street. I had one child in one hand, one child in the other hand. I had my eyeball on that third child. And I said, okay, stay together. Ready, set, go. I was trusting my hearing. And I turned and looked and I saw this very quiet truck barreling down the street and I gasped and I watched as my obedient child started to run. She slipped in the gravel, she fell, and her head was just feet away from the tires of that truck. And I was shaken like a leaf, and I knew that God's angel had tripped her and spared all of us. 
And these friends are just the stories I can tell you about. We all stumble in many ways, moms. Are you in need of grace today? Because I am. And the good news is that God has forgiveness for us in store. And he invites us to come to him through Christ and experience forgiveness. In fact, don't miss this point. That's the whole agenda for motherhood. God's agenda for motherhood is that we come to the end of ourselves in the many ways that we stumble And the unkind words that we say in our impatience and our negligence. And we run to him for love and forgiveness. And he is our savior. That's why we stare in the the mirror of motherhood and see our need for Christ. That goes for you too, dads. So moms and dads, today, Mother's Day 2013, is a great day to open up your heart to Christ if you have never done that. And received his forgiveness. You see, the best parents are not the perfect ones. The best parents are the ones who know they stumble and fall and go running to the Savior. And then they can point their kids in that direction. So moms, take your job of influence seriously and let it lead you to the love and forgiveness of Christ. Point number two is this. Moms, take your words seriously. Take your words seriously. Verses 3 through 5 in James 3 say this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. James takes three word pictures of small things that direct the course of large and powerful things to illustrate the influence of the tongue. A bit controls a horse. A rudder directs a ship. A spark can affect an entire forest. Now, in James' day, horses were powerful creatures of of motor transportation and labor. I mean, even today, how do we describe the uh, engine of a car? It's by horsepower, right? We get that. The size of ships in James' day was impressive. We know this from Acts 27, verses 37 and 38, that the shipwreck that the Apostle Paul experienced on his way to Rome was accommodating 276 people and a load of wheat. So James marvels that even in the face of strong winds, a small rudder can direct the course of a great ship. We hear every year about how small a spark or a cigarette or campfire or match can set an entire forest on fire. California, Colorado, that's in our news all the time. We get that illustration too. So the tongue, the spoken word, though small, can influence an entire life, especially when spoken by a mom, our earliest teacher. And therein lies the power to be destructive. Destructive. Who among us has not experienced the, uh, a person of influence in our early years piercing us with hurtful words, right? That may still echo in the chambers of our heart and, and affect our decisions even this day. Why are you so lazy? Why are you so fat? Why can't you be like your brother? You're so skinny. And why can't you be like your sister? You're just a troublemaker. You're never going to amount to anything. 
And so we experience the slow drip of sarcasm and negativity, and it can poison a life. And James continues to unveil the destructive side of the tongue. Let's read verses 6 through 8. He says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Happy Mother's Day. Wow. It's really getting bad, isn't it? James is saying that the tongue is connected to the powers of evil when it is used destructively. It can't be tamed, can't be domesticated by our own will. But there's another side to this coin. James doesn't take the time here to describe it, but other scriptures tell us the tongue has great capacity for good and not just evil. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs 12.18, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So what's the purpose? The purpose of our speech is Christ-following moms. Purpose is to be life-giving, healing, wholesome, upbuilding, and beneficial. In short, a blessing. We speak for God. We speak his love and truth to our children. So moms, are we intentionally and steadily blessing and benefiting our children with life-giving words that build them up and not tear them down? Let me give you four categories of words that are life-giving that we can use intentionally. The first is restoring words. Restoring words. Do you know how to restore a relationship and say these words? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? That restores a relationship. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And then 20 times a day, I love you. I love you. Secondly, affirming words. Moms, do you catch your kids doing something right and affirm that? You know, I love how you share with your friends. I love how kind you are to the pet. I love how you cooperate with others on the sports team. You're a good team player. I love how you organize your room. We don't say that very often, do we? This is not false flattery, but this is reflecting back to them truth, things that you see and the potential that you're calling out, affirming words. How about grateful words? Similar to affirming words, but we thank them for what they do right. We don't just scold them for what they do wrong. Thank you for clearing your plate. Thank you for holding the door for me. Thank you for calling me to let me know where you are. Thanks for being responsible with the car. How about scriptural words? Words from scripture, whether you're reading a children's Bible story book or reviewing Awana verses, whether you're doing the Encounter with Truth Bible reading schedule, middle school, high school, adult ministries, we're all trying to do that together. And then don't forget scriptural words that are the gospel. My mom excelled at giving the gospel words 
to her kids and grandkids. I am so blessed. She was the first person to tell me I was a sinner. She made that really clear. But then she shared with me the good news that Jesus died for that sin and rose again and wanted to come into my life and change me and give me a clean heart. And she invited me to do just that. I am so blessed. And she did that with all her grandkids too. In fact, every single birthday card and letter that she wrote them, it was full of scripture and the gospel. They got to the point where they said, mom, I'm 17. I trusted Jesus 10 years ago. Grandma's still giving me the gospel, but bless her heart. She stuck with that. Moms, restoring words, affirming words, grateful words, scriptural words. This spells rags. A mom who rags on her kids in a good way. That's how you can remember this. I got three more. I've got a PS to that, a postscript. Actually, it's a PSS. Words of prayer, story, and song. Just three more categories. Words of prayer. Now, my mother-in-law excels at praying for her kids and grandkids. I don't mean to embarrass her, but actually I do. But she knows how to pray. And there is nothing more beneficial, life-giving, building up than for a child to hear their name spoken by a mom in prayer before the throne of grace. Especially a mom who means business. And you can text a prayer. I got two kids that are far away, and I can text a prayer and have their name in that. Words of story. Again, my mother-in-law excels in this because she's got a great eye for detail and drama, and she can tell a good story. I attribute my husband's good communication skills to her ability. Thank you, Mom Nicodem. I have to tell you this. One year, my mother-in-law read the entire Chronicles of Narnia out loud to a tape recorder and then duplicated the cassette tapes for all her grandkids for Christmas. Can you believe that? Moms, if you need a good place to turn for literature, uh, Honey for a Child's Heart and Honey for a Teenager's Heart by Gladys Hunt. Great uh, books on books. It's a bibliography of great literature to read to your kids. Words of prayer, words of story, words of song. Again, I'm really grateful for a mom who taught songs and hymns to her kids. And now when I go visit her in the nursing home, <coughs> she's 91 has Alzheimer's, does not know me or our relationship or my name or anything. But when we sing together, the words and the melody come back to her. It's really precious. And I'm mindful of the importance of song. Moms, go into your child's room every morning with a song, even a silly song. It just changes the whole tone of the day. I don't want you to think that this is idyllic. It is not. It's messy. Kids are squirrely. Kids have short attention spans. They'll start fighting when you read the Bible to them. It happened every time in our home. But you just keep going after it, moms. You keep trying to excel. Being a mom who rags on her kids and uses the postscripts of prayer and story and song. The tongue has the power of life and death, moms and dads. How will we ever choose life words instead of death words? James Three tells us how. Let's read verses 9 through 12. It says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? 
Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What is James saying? Genuine faith is consistent and congruent. It's whole and integrated. It is not two-faced or double-minded. Can we praise our Lord and Father and even lift our hands to him in worship and then turn and curse a brother and sister made in his likeness? James says, that's unthinkable. If our hearts have truly been transformed by the Spirit of God, then a transformed speech will follow. Now, James is using two very common first-century Objects to illustrate his point, a spring of water and agriculture. A spring is everything in the Middle East, and it's their life. So fresh water in the arid climate of Palestine is critical. And never had a spring produced fresh water one day and salt water the next day. And neither had a plant in their experience of raising figs and grapes and olives produced a fruit not according to its nature. And the point is this, only a renewed heart can produce life-giving words. The heart is the spring from which the water flows, right? The heart is the root of the plant that produces the fruit. And so it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mom speaks. Now, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 12, 35. A tree is recognized by its fruit, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Mom's point number three is this. Take your heart seriously. Take your heart seriously. The heart is the center of the human spirit. It's our thoughts, our emotions, our motivations. And James is saying, start there if you want to gauge your words. It's been said that the tongue is the wagging tail of the heart. I love that, don't you? It's like you swallowed a cat, and the tongue is just the wagging tail. The culprit's on the inside, right? My heart is where I must invite the Spirit of God and the truths of Scripture to inform my inner conversation, the things I say to myself, my self-talk, right? And that's what's going to spill out to my kids. Whether I like that or not, it's the truth, and I have to take it seriously. I want to give you some examples of self-talk. That has plagued me through the seasons of motherhood and how I try to replace it with God talk. Maybe you can relate to this. It actually begins B.C., before children. The issues I faced then were identity and acceptance. And my self-talk would say, if I can't get pregnant and have kids, I am just second class. I'm not fully a woman. I will never be accepted by my parents and my in-laws who really want grandkids. And I cannot keep up with that prolific sister-in-law who keeps having babies and she gets all the attention. I am nothing without kids. And that is death-dealing self-talk. God talk is the talk I rehearse. And this is what God says to that. He says, wait a minute. I made you. I have a purpose and plan for your life. You are my masterpiece, my workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which I've prepared in advance for you to do. That may or may not include having kids. No matter. Find your acceptance in me. Ephesians 2.10. Are you listening, my sisters, who struggle with that? That's God's word, Ephesians 2.10. That's the difference between self-talk and God-talk. Well, then the preschool years come, you know, two or three babies later. 
And my, my issues are significance and self-esteem. And I say to myself, I am bored. I am blasted. I'm beleaguered. I, I am behind in my skills and my career. My brain cells are shot. My body is stretched out. I got to get out of this house. I got to get a job where I can be significant and where I can wear cute clothes again that no one will spit up on. These kids are holding me back. That's the self-talk. What does God say? He says, wait a minute. I have all the riches in Christ and his grace to give you to stay the course and labor with all my energy until Christ is formed in them. Colossians 1, I have sisters in Christ in my church who will speak life words to you. Encourage each other daily. Hebrews 3.13. Then the middle years happen. And my issues are idolatry and some more identity as well. Idolatry in that I will spend all my time and my money and drive my kids all over creation to make sure they're successful and keep up with everybody else. Successful by my definition. And I need to impose my dreams on their lives and live vicariously through them, be it cheerleader or soccer player or master musician or scholarship winner or whatever. And self-talk says my kids must succeed to bolster my identity. God talk says... You shall have no other gods before me, not even your children. Rather, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and teach your children to do the same. Matthew 6, 33. You want to talk about success? Let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. It says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That's successful. Chase after that. Then the young adult years happen and the issues are launch, leave, and loneliness. And self-talk says, well, I raised my kids to be independent and to go out into the world. And and they did. And they left me. I feel rejected and I have regrets and The time went too fast and some of my dreams are shattered and the ideal didn't happen. And who am I now? Where's my significance going to come from? What do I do with this lonely, empty nest? God talk says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. My love for you is enough. It's high and long and wide and deep. Ephesians 3, 18. Now you build upon the lessons that you learned before. Remember, seek first my kingdom. You're my masterpiece created in Christ to do good works that I still have prepared for you to do. Now you find your significance and your acceptance in me. That's God talk. Moms, the God talk we need are the powerful scriptures about the love of God for us. God loves me, period. Whether I have no kids, whether I have fabulous kids, whether I have disastrous kids, God loves me. And the battle is in the heart because I've got to replace the lies of self-talk with the truths of scripture. If only we had that going on in our hearts, moms, what kind of wonderful, powerful words would come out to our children? In closing, I want to illustrate this need to review lessons learned and how to anchor yourself in this talk. 
And while I do tell this story, I want to ask the worship bands at all four campuses to come back on stage. They're going to sing a song about the importance of words to close the service. You see, there was a time when my eight-year-old daughter had a stroke. And I spent a week with her at Loyola University Hospital trying to figure out why. I will never forget those five days of tests, EKGs and spinal taps and everything. I needed God talk that week. And God gave me Genesis 22, the story of Abraham who, out of obedience, laid his firstborn on the altar. And not without some struggle, but I finally said, okay, Lord, she's yours. She's yours. And the truths of Psalm 139, 13, that God had knit her together in my womb and he had a purpose and a plan for every day of her life came back to me. And I anchored myself right there in that scripture. 13 years later, the same daughter marries and two days later after her wedding, she moves 2,000 miles away to what we call the God-forsaken West Coast. Now what? I struggle. And again, God reminded me of that time 13 years earlier where I had said, oh yes, she's yours, Lord, like Abraham surrendered Isaac. I put my firstborn Emily back on that altar. And I anchor myself in the truths of Psalm 139, 9 and 10 that say, even though she rises on the wings of the dawn and settles on the far side of the continent, even there your hand holds her fast, your right hand has a grip on her. And I anchor myself there. Well, this past year, eight years later, same daughter becomes pregnant. And because of her high-risk condition, having had a stroke as a child, she has complications. There's some bleeding. And I'm reminded, oh, yes, Lord, she's yours. She's yours. And Psalm 139.10 is still true. Your right hand holds her fast. And it's the great love of God that assures me that the promises of Scripture are rock solid. And that's what I need to rehearse in my heart, in my inner conversation. And I'm wearing out this book, Who I Am in Christ. It's a fabulous book that replaces self-talk with God talk. It's in our um, resource bookstore. Moms, dads, how's your heart talk today? My friends at Blackberry Creek at DeKalb, Bartlett, how's your heart today? Are you taking it seriously? Are you taking your word seriously? Are you taking this great job of influence seriously? Because God's called you to it, and he will equip you to do it. Well, speaking of small things that steer the course of a life like a bit or a rudder or a spark, a three-by-five card can do the same for your heart if you review it regularly. So on one side, I want you to write self-talk that's destructive or that's a lie or words that you don't want to be saying to your children. And on the back side, put a truth of God talk or words that you want to be intentional with. You want to rag on those kids and give them the postscripts. We can influence with our words 